Welcome, friends and fiends. This is your host, film critic and comedian, Nate Wyckoff. And I'm here to tell you about an exciting giveaway that Warner Brothers Discovery and Colton Classic Films LLC has put together to build your 4K Ultra HD film collection on digital. We are giving away four codes which contain digital 4K Ultra HD versions of Rebel Without a Cause, Maltese Falcon, and Cool Hand Luke. These are films that you absolutely must know as a film buff. You can get this code by being one of the lucky four people we pull from our newsletter list. So go to coltonclassicfilms.com slash newsletter and give us your email and your name and we'll sign you up for the newsletter and we will enter you in the competition. That's all you got to do. So please go ahead and do that. The contest ends on April 30th and we will send out the winning codes on May 1st. Thank you so much for being a listener. And here's your episode of Colton Classic Films podcast. Welcome, friends and fiends, to yet another special episode of Colton Classic Podcast, the podcast where we bring you two movies, both thematically linked, one mainstream and one cult, and talk about them both. Uh, I am happy to announce that this is a special episode because two of our four panelists, uh, that's including myself, are in the same location. This never happens. This is the first time in the history in over 100 uh, episodes and minisodes of Colton Classic Podcast that we've been in the same place. Tad Mastrani, longtime contributor, has mm-hmm. flown out to sunny Palm Springs to join me here in the Colton Classic Studios, which you can kind of see if you're watching this on YouTube. Uh, so hello out there from Palm Springs. Uh, I'm, of course, your host, Nate Wyckoff, film critic and comedian. And then we also have with us Jeff Tucker. How you doing, Jeff? Just muted, but he's talking. So I guess... It's not that important. I'm not being paid enough for this shit show. (laughs) Go to hell, Nate. (laughs) Thanks, Jeff. And uh, we also have with us Mandy Longley. How are you doing, Mandy? Happy to be at this actual shit show today. Actual shit show. That is true because today and next week's topic uh, is (laughs) Pooh Party uh, films. That is just, it's too perfect. Uh, We really have a double feature for you that... Uh, firing out both ends we've got <laughs> we've got for part one which we're going to talk about today we have 2003's Stephen King adaptation Dreamcatcher, uh, which has quite a star-studded cast and then next week we have part two with our cult selection which is zombie ass toilet of the dead which is a Japanese film that uh, you're really going to want to listen to both of these guys I'm just telling you all right now this is a this is a special pairing really special pairing uh, so let's just dive in so Dreamcatcher. Dreamcatcher is. Nate, would uh, you say it's a deuce? <laughs> no, no, I wouldn't. Uh, yes, no, it is. <laughs> we have a deuce of a pair of films, and uh, that's better. I like that better. We're gonna we're gonna do that. This is uh, uh it's this this pairing is just called deuces. Um, yeah, it's pretty great. So Dreamcatcher is from two thousand three. It did hit theaters. Uh, it was kind of a uh, box office bomb. Uh, which is unfortunate. I actually think it's a strong movie, but it, it it actually didn't make its money back at the time. It was directed by Lawrence Kasdan, who's um, been a screenwriter and director for decades, very talented individual. Um, some people may recognize uh, Kasdan's name as the co-writer of Star Wars, Empire Strikes Back, and Return of the Jedi. So uh, really ped- high pedigree in this film. 
Uh, it's, of course, from Stephen King's novel, Dreamcatcher. William Goldman, another legend, co-wrote the script with Kazdan. And uh, we've got uh, quite a cast. Uh, as We have playing the sort of no-nonsense, crazy, quote, spewing military man. We have, uh, what's his name? Morgan Freeman. So this is what's happening, guys. Uh, right now, Tad and I are sharing a pair of very expensive noise-canceling headphones, which every time I touch to adjust sets off the uh, finger sensor button. So uh, I have a nice ambient sound occasionally popping in. But Morgan Freeman plays the deranged colonel. Thomas Jane of uh, Punisher. He's my Punisher. Uh, Barenthal's great too, but uh, we don't talk about Warzone. Uh, <clears throat> Thomas Jane is in there as well. Uh, Jason Lee, who I had the pleasure of meeting in real life. And I've probably told this story several times on the podcast, but I'm going to do it again. Uh, and then we also have Damian Lewis, who is a show regular in Billions. And then we have uh, Timothy Oliphant, Tom Sizemore, Donnie Wahlberg. I mean, it just the list goes on and on and on. Uh, it's a really great cast. So before I go into the plot of this movie, a lot of people saw this in theaters uh, that maybe wouldn't have seen it in theaters uh, normally. And the reason was, is this was one of the first movies that, be, that came out with the Last Flight of Osiris, the Matrix 3D animated short uh, before it. The, that was the one that was produced by the studio that created the Final Fantasy, The Spirits Within, uh, film before it disbanded so very very big it was sort of like how people went to see mission impossible ghost protocol because the trailer for dark knight was in it except for uh we actually could hear the actors in the uh film last flight of the series as opposed to uh the dark knight returns so yeah tom hardy tom hardy loves being put behind a mask and christopher nolan loves to do it over and over again uh but anyway love them both so the plot of Dreamcatcher. It's essentially the plot of It, uh, the book, but with aliens. And that's not super inaccurate to say, although there are some differences. So basically a group of friends uh, have grown up and they all have this weird psychic power where they can sort of read people's minds. They really just know things and they have connections to each other and communicate with each other without uh, needing to use words. And they got this power from their friend who was a, a, a differently abled boy that they saved from some bullies in their schoolyard days. Interestingly enough, in the books, uh, they saved him in um, The Barons, which in It is where the Losers Club, uh, the main characters, would go as kids and hang out. Uh, and, and this, like most Stephen King books, this has ties to all sorts of his other books. Um, they uh, go to Derry, where It takes place. Uh, they also um, spend time in Castle Rock, which is where uh, many Stephen King books, uh, Needful Things, Cujo, um, Dark Half, all take place there. So it's really tied in to the Stephen King connected universe and mythos. And this group of people have grown up uh, sort of, they're still connected, but they don't speak with their friend, um, Duddit. Duddits. Duddits. Um, and they just call him Dud sometimes. Uh, they're, they're differently abled friend. So he, they all consider to be the greatest person. He's kind, he's all these things, to the point where they think that maybe he's not even really human. Uh, and sure enough, he's not. Spoiler alert, he's an alien. Uh, and he's actually come to Earth to sort of prevent 
uh, Mr. Gray, as he's known, uh, an alien entity from taking over the whole world with uh, what we can affectionately call ass weasels. Uh, yes, ass weasels is what I said. Um, that's actually a term that is coined by Morgan Freeman's character in this. Uh, and in this universe, there are there's a, a group called Blue Team of uh, military personnel who are sort of work outside the military, uh, who are clandestine spec special ops kind of deal. And they take care of alien attacks on, uh, on American soil. And this, so they already know aliens exist. They know that this particular group of aliens uses spores to spread what they call Ridley, uh, excuse me, Ripley, uh, from, taken from uh, the character from Alien. And it's this fungus that takes people over and then causes them gastric distress. So they have horrible gas until they explode out the bum with a little mutant leech creature with teeth. Uh, it is somewhat leech-like, somewhat vaginal, uh, very upsetting. And the it, basically what happens is this group of friends is caught in a quarantine zone where this stuff is spreading and they get attacked by these creatures and they have to actually one by one tangle with Mr. Gray and the, the ass weasels and uh, eventually get to Derry, um, reunite with their friend Duditz who's dying of leukemia. And uh, that's when they come to a head to stop the evil Mr. Gray, thanks to Duditz. So I'm gonna say this right away. Um, this is actually one of the few Stephen King novels that I don't remember reading. I actually think I did because I know some things that are not in the, uh, the movie version, um, but I'm not sure. I'm a big Stephen King fan. Uh, his other alien, uh, novel Tommy Knockers, which he doesn't like very much because interestingly enough, he wrote most of it uh, while heavily uh, illegally medicated. And so he doesn't remember writing much of it, which is why it's not one of his favorites, but it's one of my favorites. It's a brilliant novel. And it's I also actually, really love Tommy Knockers. It's so good. And the miniseries they did in the 90s actually wasn't bad either. But yeah. uh, and word on the street is that Tommy Knockers is getting a new movie made by the producers of it and uh, the recent Pet Cemetery things, the, the newer versions, which I'm not a huge fan of, but uh, you know, I'll give it a shot. Anyway, there's one small reference to Tommy Knockers in here as well, uh, <clears throat> but it's, it's, it's sort of everything about this movie is very Stephen King, right? You have a group of friends, they're kind of a little too old for their time. You know, they speak in this like almost 50s kind of slang sometimes, um, you know, they, they sing Blue Bayou uh, and, and just just a little bit too, too old for the character, but very New England. And that's nice, uh, especially since many of us on this podcast have spent time or hail from New England. So we know the whole you can't get there from here kind of deal. And, representation uh, matters it, <laughs> it does it really does um and and i love john lithgow but he's not from new england so i don't know why no. he was i don't know why he was cast <laughs> in that in that role in the new pet cemetery anyway uh back to the point dreamcatcher follows these guys as they are one by one attacked some killed no spoilers there uh but they eventually go to the water supply, which is a real place. Uh, Quabbin Reservoir. Quabbin Reservoir in, in Massachusetts uh, and stop Mr. Gray from putting one deadly uh, ass weasel worm in the water. And I'm saying that because yes, it is fun to say. Uh, anyway, it's, it's got the Stephen King hallmarks of the sort of older than it really is vibe, the nice 
olden day kids matched with their troubled adulthood counterparts. Um, it has the, the horror elements. Uh, it's got some gruesome moments, not just the exploding ass weasels, but there's lots of uh, gas passing in this movie. There is lots of um, uh, severings, face eatings, things of that nature. And I'm going to say this for 2003, I mean, this is almost 20 years old. The graphics hold up fairly well. Um, we have some practical effects like with severed fingers and things um, that of course hold up well because they're practical effects. They're physically built uh, models. And then we have, um, we have a great physically built model that's used for a very short scene of an alien, a towering alien that is just a really great rubber plastic model. Um, and then we also have a lot of 3D with the, the ass weasel worm things um, and the final aliens that we see. I still think they worked okay. We know that they're 3D, that they're CGI, um, but for 20 years old, it doesn't. It's used more sparingly than uh, some other films that aged less gracefully. So I believe uh, I know that the Tad, Jeff, and I all saw this in theaters. I think Mandy, you probably saw it in theaters too. Maybe. Like I remember reading the book. I don't really remember seeing the movie. So mm. it's like the opposite okay. from you. Um, interesting probably saw it in theaters at the time because i was like a, a raging stephen king fan mm -hmm. at, at that point like when it came out so chances are high that i saw so it in theaters. you remembering the book uh and now seeing the movie again what or or for the first time what was your expectation and what's your takeaway now that you watched it my expectation was that they would listen to sympathy for the devil when they gun down all of the aliens because i think that's what they listen to in the book they probably couldn't get they probably couldn't get the rights to that song <laughs> and other than that it just it felt very true to a stephen king story like the pacing the detail the character building like the fact that you there's just all this tension in what's going to happen to the characters even you know like early, very early in the movie um and they don't rely on a lot of um, theatrical um, tricks to make you have those feelings. Uh, it's really just that you do care about those characters um, from the start. And um, yeah, it was just, it was nice. It was nice to revisit that. I kind of gave up. I went kind of um, cold turkey on Stephen King about like maybe 10 to 12 years ago. And I haven't really read much of his stuff anymore. Cause it is again, like, kind of like you said, like this is it or like, you know, in a different setting. Like I, it got to the point where I felt where I was reading these books, like I've read this before, vaguely seems familiar. I love it, but like, it's not the flavor I'm looking for anymore. I'm looking yeah, for Yeah, if I want something new. new, it's probably not where I'm going to go. Although I will say yeah. I, I have kept up with his modern work and Institute mm -hmm. uh, is most recent. And um, uh, I can't even think of some others. And with the exception of Cell, which I wasn't a huge fan of, I, I did enjoy mm -hmm. I've enjoyed them, uh, his recent ones. Yeah. So anyway, um, but yeah, I agree. The characterization is really well done. And it's it's certainly helped by the fact that the cast is so good. Yeah. I mean, you have, I, I adore Absolutely. everyone. And now this is when I, I tell my uh, story of meeting Jason Lee for the thousandth time. I was living mm -hmm. in Huntington Beach at my friend's house. He was working at this really great restaurant, which is still there. It's called Manja Manja. Check it out. It's run by two Sicilian brothers. And uh and he knew that I loved Mallrats and Jason Lee, Mallrats being the Kevin Smith movie. Uh, and I was at, at the house doing nothing. And I got a, a cell phone text that said, you know, Jason Lee is at the restaurant. 
bring something to sign. And I was like, ah, oh, that's, that's amazing. But I had left all of my movies in New Hampshire and said, and I was in Huntington Beach, California. So I had to drive around until I found a copy of Mallrats. And I found a copy of Mallrats at what I think was a Strawberries at the time. Uh, and it was, they only had one used copy and I bought it and I brought it to the restaurant and I sat behind him. He was the only, it was the middle of the day with the only people there except for uh, the staff and Jason Lee and another person from MTV, I think it was. Uh, and there was a camera set up. It was a stationary camera. So there wasn't even someone working it, I don't think. Uh, but I don't know what special they were recording for, but they were trying to get him to just do like one-off quips and stuff about the food. And then like they'd ask him a question about whatever cause they were doing. And um, his quips were straight up Brody, Jason Lee uh, quips. I think at one point they brought him some fish and um, like, what do you think? And he said, it tastes like your mom last night. Uh, and that I do remember that line. Um, but here's what the great part is they had a break in filming and I pulled out the movie and I pulled out the slip cover and I had a pen and I said, excuse me, like, I'm so sorry. I'm a huge fan. Um, my my friend is your waiter and he told me here and he turns around and he looks at jason who's a good friend who uh was his waiter and he goes you fucking traitor <laughs> and and then he was very nice to me and he signed my thing uh and and then uh and talked about driving a prius at the time they just come out anyway that's my Jason Lee story. Uh, I am clinging to the fact that it's good, uh, even even though it's tepid at best. Uh, but he was he was great, and I cherish that signed copy uh, that I essentially stalked him for. Now, back to the plot. Characterization is very good in this movie. Uh, Jason Lee is sort of the um, uh, the smartass, aggressive kid from Stand by Me slash It. Uh, and then we have, but we have a lot of side characters too that show up for just very briefly. Like Thomas Jane is a therapist and he has a bad psychic, psychically aided experience with um, one of his clients, a very heavy man uh, played by C. Ernst Harth, who is well known. If you were to see him, he's a great character actor. Uh, you would recognize him from a million different things. Uh, where he's like, you're eating yourself to death because you think you killed your mother, but you didn't kill your mother, did you? And he gives him all these details and the guy freaks out. And just the touches that they put in, like he doesn't just freak out when he gets up, the bench breaks because he's a very large man. He's moving very, very quickly. And they don't play it for laughs or anything. It's just these little touches throughout the whole interaction of characters that really build on the atmosphere. Um, and that's why it, it, it's more Stephen King than so many other Stephen King novels, because it's not just the idea that they took. It's the pacing, the presentation. We get to know the characters before horrible things start to happen. Um, I will say this for people who read the book, and I did check up on this, the ending, there are two endings on the DVD and Blu-ray copy of this. The original one is that uh, uh, Duditz is, is there at the climactic battle between Mr. Great Alien, and um, he uses his special powers to defeat the evil alien, and, it's, and then dies of leukemia, which he's suffering from. And it, it's never fully revealed that he's not human although it's clearly obvious that he's not human by that point um and that was the original film ending and i think it probably didn't test as well as the alternative ending which they went with which is where uh he is stabbed by mr gray who has a big spiky tail that's kind of like the the ass weasel tails and um and then as he's stabbed he like holds mr gray's tail and becomes another alien that looks somewhat similar and they sort of have this weird 
he holds them there and then they sort of crystallize uh, together in like a, a cocoon, like yeah. a sort of, yeah, a, a almost amniotic sack. Uh, and then they d- explode into, into spores. Um, and I think that was probably decided I'm sure pr- production came in and said, this ending is too subtle. Uh, we need we need an ending where they both become aliens and, and people can leave the theater understanding what happened. Um, the the book's original ending, to spoil it for everyone. Um, and again, I, if you're interested in this at all, I don't believe in spoilers uh, for a, a decent film. If you, there are plenty to hold you throughout. You don't know all the ins and outs, no matter how much I tell you. However, the book's ending is apparently um, Henry, Thomas Jane's character, and uh, Duddit's smother Mr. Gray, which is in the body of their friend with a pillow and kill him that way. And of course, much like when we talked about Exorcist 3 slash Legion by William Peter Blatty, that's a very subdued, uh, cerebral ending. You know, you have to think about how impactful it is that they're, they're sort of killing their best friend's body with a a difficult method of murder and that's the, supposed to be the good way to do things uh, and so that I can see why that did not test well and wasn't even filmed uh, in any way shape or form that said it does still feel like a Stephen King novel to me uh, on film and we have a lot of Stephen King adaptations and a lot of not great ones uh, so to see one that I thought felt very clearly like a Stephen King novel and it's also Thomas Jane's um, uh, it, it, this is the second of his movies um, that that he did. He also, of course, was a lead in the mist, um, I believe, correct? Um, I think he also, I don't know if it was before or after this, but I believe was he after, was, uh, he had a, a, a sort of a bit role in Original Sin with Angelina Jolie, wasn't he? He was kind of the deranged brother. I don't even remember that. Um, it's an interesting I'm, movie. I'm sure, I'm sure he was. He was, so was that based off a Stephen King story? No, no, I'm just saying it's a Thomas Jane movie. Well, that is unrelated. No, it's true. Thomas Jane is a great actor. Um, and he was in, uh, is, it, is it Jonathan Hensley's uh, Punisher movie? Is that who did Punisher yeah. 2004? Uh, so that was right after this. Um, but anyway, uh, also Mutant Chronicles. Anyway, he's a great actor. Absolutely love him. Um, excited to see him. He was played Todd Parker in Boogie Nights too. But Boogie Nights also, not Boogie Nights too. That would be funny uh, just in general. Um, but really the star actor, I think here, um, before I get to what uh, Jeff thinks, because I know he's listening wrapped to my analysis, is uh, Damian Lewis, who plays uh, the Jonesy, who is the one that is possessed by Mr. Gray. And they have this great visualization um, tool that they use where he has essentially his memory is a storage library. And he has one room locked off and his personality has locked itself in that room, which has all the pertinent information about um, Duddits and the fact that he's uh, potentially an alien. And he's keeping that hidden from uh, Mr. Gray, who's in his head. And they did this thing where he talks to himself, but he's really talking to Mr. Gray. And Mr. Gray has this like extreme British accent that apparently Lewis, based off of Malcolm McDowell, who is another legend. Um, and so he'll speak in this like super upbeat sort of posh British accent and then he'll speak in his normal voice back and that's Jonesy and he does a great job and he does a lot of physical acting back and forth with just mugging that I thought was pretty great but let's jump in here to Jeff. Jeff uh, I know you saw this movie when it came out because I was there what uh what was your expectation going into it again and what's your thought now that you've seen it? I knew that I had seen it but I, I really did I, I like it, it faded away um i 
you know, I really enjoy this movie. Um, I'm pretty sure I did back in the day. Um, I think it means a lot, like when, you know, you have like a great cast like this and Jason Lee dies in like, you know, the first 30 minutes or whatever. Um, and he's made an impression already. Yeah, you're right. It's, yeah, it wasn't like a cameo. He's like he's gonna pick a toothpick off a bathroom floor, though. That like that's, <laughs> that's like rough. Yeah, you're you, you're definitely sitting there like watching. Like it's a toothpick guy. Like <laughs> it's a toothpick, but also it's like yeah. it's that's uh that's a bathroom floor. Just because yeah. the, it's not touching the blood. It's so it's not uh, yeah. The bathroom floor covered with blood. Yeah. yeah, like yes, it's not clearly touching the blood, but a man's rectum just exploded. <laughs> in a bloody mess all over that room and i mean you're just you're just assuming that that one cube that looks like it doesn't have blood does it's it, there's it's contaminated you don't put it do, in do they go into the like i don't even know if that's in the book but it, do, do they go into like why he has such like an oral fixation or is it uh or because you know you got to have a pretty like strong desire to have that toothpick in your mouth <laughs> to be reaching yeah, for it i don't know moment. it's it's played almost like he's an ex-smoker or something you know like yeah, who, who uses that as a as a replacement and so when things get really hairy for him he's he's gotta he's gotta have something to calm his nerves um it's not explained that's, in the that's what i assumed I, I just figured that maybe the book went into more detail um but i'm, I'm glad you were talking about damien lewis because um i actually forgot he was in this i forgot anybody that i love was in this um damien lewis is like one of my favorite actors now um like really like absolute top tier um if you haven't seen like the first season of homeland i i can't like vouch for every season but that first season is exceptional um it's one of the best things that's been filmed in like you know the last 20 years um definitely worth watching and a lot of it is just that uh, damien Luce is just a, a just a mountain of talent um he also and, plays uh, Steve McQueen in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Tarantino's most recent. So if anybody's interested in that, which is a wild casting choice that I ended up fully backing once I actually saw it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I don't know. I, yeah. You, you can't go wrong when you have this many like really talented people and like a uh, talented, somebody really would have to messed up the screenplay adaptation for this to be bad. Um, it's, uh, you know, it's almost every Stephen King film is 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 watchable. Um, there's obviously exceptions, but the the bulk of them are, are good. And I think it goes back to what Amanda said: it's just the characters are all, are always well written, and you actually care what happens to them. Um, it doesn't you, you like you know most movies kind of almost over exaggerate like the horror that's going on because they can't make you give a crap about the the characters. So like they have to kind of almost like do it too extreme. Um, in this, like you just immediately care about the characters. And so like even like a lightly tense scene feels really elevated. Um, and so, yeah, I don't know. And it's just, you know, the, this, a, a lot of talent, talent went into this film in both acting and uh, writing. Yeah, I like that you said, even when a Stephen King movie maybe isn't the best, it's watchable. Because I think a lot of people, especially especially when you have a novelist whose work is often made into film, you get people who are upset because it isn't as good or the same as the novel. Um, and Stephen King's, especially the early film versions of his works, are 
were very heavily victims of cutting down content because he writes a lot of large novels for the most part and the films especially at that time were quite short this was one of those where it still wasn't super normal to have a long film um and it was kind of the beginning of because now a two and a half hour movie is kind of expected for many movies you know every superhero movie is at least two hour two and a half hours um and this one is two hours and 14 minutes and it really gave them the breathing room to work in a good opening before we get to uh, the sort of monster mayhem. And uh, I also want to give a shout out to Timothy Oliphant that did a great job too, the, the used car salesman friend who um, is just kind of, spends a good chunk of the movie by himself drinking against a log. Um, and I, I think, well, we'll get to Tad. Tad, uh, you said you remembered a lot of this movie. What was your expectation going in and what did you come out with that you didn't expect? I didn't really expect much because i it, it was a known quantity we were i knew that we were going to go in and make jokes about ass weasels and we absolutely did but um you and i were talking while we were watching the film because we watched these these films that we're going to talk about together we did uh, in the same very special moment so we had some special commentary that unfortunately did not get recorded but you know what um it was a special time and the uh i was taken aback we, we talked about it. We, we were taken aback by how good the special effects held up and they still do. And I, in particular, forgot how very, what's the, what's the term I'm looking for? Uh, Morgan Freeman didn't play his typical role. Yeah. He did not. He, I had, I heard Morgan Freeman use the word cocksucker. And basically I, I pointed it out. I was like, I want a, uh, Morgan Freeman to do a Duke Nukem impression now because he basically was this close to saying, "I'm here to chew bubble gum and kick ass." Yeah, he does. He's he's you know the 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 pinnacle version of the of the character in Avatar that's so badly created. The, the, the villain the that villainous. had absolutely no motivation whatsoever. Yeah, like it's just. I mean, he actually is is good at it, um, and and has a strong. Um, a strong background maybe not even drive uh but just a background where like we we know his character enough to believe like all right we know this is how he would act um and also yeah he doesn't usually morgan freeman plays um as of course morgan freeman's been in a, a stephen king adaptation as well shawshank redemption probably the most well received of his uh adaptations based on the short story and it you know in that we kind of get what we get expect from every morgan uh, performance, which is someone with who's wise beyond his years, soft spoken, soft spoken, giving advice because he has that kind of voice. And in this one, his character Poor gives God. advice, uh, and God, Poor right? In uh, Evan Almighty, yeah, and uh, and yeah, and in this, he gives advice, but he's not the good character. He's not the wise character. He's unhinged. Uh, he's an un. He's a. He's this freaky guy. Um, he's a freaky guy with ulterior motives and uh and and zero ability to alter his behavior based on surrounding facts which you know i don't we live in the united states listeners so I, i'm not sure that we have any experience with people who do things like that uh and don't don't listen to facts but anyway um yeah so it was a good performance from him and I just, what surprises me just in the final statements here with this movie for me is I'm always surprised that this movie isn't more highly regarded. I don't know what it was about 2003 that caused this film 
to crash because uh, it was expensive. Um, but the talent behind it and the way it's directed and the fact that it was a Stephen King story, like it all really seemed to have all the makings of a blockbuster. But in fact, it was so poorly received that um, director Kazdan blamed, he couldn't, his next two film projects he tried to push through, he could not get financed. And that's wild because this is the guy who co-wrote two of the original Star Wars trilogy. He co-wrote, um, uh, I believe, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Uh, he, he directed The Big Chill. Like he's a heavy hitter, incredible talent. And so to not be able to get his movie financed after this is, is really crazy. Uh, and what have you done for me lately though? Right. I mean, that's, you know, at the time that was, so I don't really know what, I, 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 what, what, what didn't make it work for people, which maybe like I, you and I were talking about it. Maybe it was just too weird at the time. And frankly, most of the movies in that era were weird. We went to the theater all the time. I was working in a movie store. You were working in a movie theater. True. A lot of films were weird. There were a lot of genres that were just being formed at that time. And I thought maybe it just maybe it just was released at the wrong time. Maybe if it came out in 2007, 2008, it might have been better received. People might have expected it more because we, we had what year did Slither come out? Because that's a movie that I could almost later almost immediately. Jumped 2008, to my mind. I think that's yeah. a, James Gunn. Always back to James yeah. Gunn. If it, it make your work. Make stuff like I mean, not Mickey. Not Mickey. Work. Um, wow. My brain just <laughs> short circuited. Um, anyway, uh, Michael Rooker is what I meant to say. Um, yeah. So 2003, I mean, we had it was the beginning of the superhero boom. So we had like X2 came out that year, um, you know, uh, and, and uh, we had um, Daredevil was coming out in the next Hulk, six months to a Hulk year. had yeah. come out yeah. that year. Um, Matrix 2 had come out. Uh, and, and so I you got that Hulk. That I love that Hulk. We're going to have to talk about that because Ang Lee is a brilliant director and that movie is severely underrated. Jeff and I went to see <laughs> Hulk 2003 in theaters and I made a sweet Command and Conquer joke while we were watching it. I doubt that is true. Um, I don't recall uh, that. How sweet was it? Do you well, recall you the joke? At the time. You can't take it back now. Oh, I probably did. I just don't remember. You, do you have the joke uh, on hand ready? You remember in generals how uh, you you cause a certain amount of damage to the other uh, to the other faction and you get start you get promoted you get more stars mm -hmm. for your general. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, I pointed out that uh, Thunderbolt Ross. I was like, as you can see, he's only a three star general, so he can't call in a fuel air bomb strike. Mm, yes, good joke. Good song. Folks, joke. I'm canceling. I'm canceling the whole podcast. Um, <laughs> we're never doing this again. Yeah, no, I. So there, and there were a lot of like 2003 was a year for a lot of of big films. I mean, we had um, the, as I said, the second Matrix movie, the second X Men movie, the second Lord of the Rings, Peter Jackson films, um, Hulk, and but you also had Bruce Almighty, um, and and sort of um, some big misses too. You had some some risks like House of a Thousand Corpses, um, but you also had. Uh, some weird like pseudo indie films that were doing well like identity did really well and i just i don't know why this didn't fit in because it seems to have that sort of off kilterness of identity with the horror elements that they have and the character development but it also has um the sort of epic vibe and runtime of uh you know matrix uh, reloaded or um Lord of the Rings Return of the King so I'm not sure why it didn't fly uh, I think if it came out later I think Tad and I were talking about this you know 2010 or something etc it probably would have done better I think that we would have been expecting a movie like this 
Um, I don't know. I, I think that, I'm not sure this would ever come out and do well. Though, like the explosions are like too early in the film. Like they're not at the mm. end. Like literally, someone just like steps on a worm at like the end, of the movie. and that's yeah. like very <laughs> Stephen King. Yeah. But like, it's not Hollywood. Like, it's not formulaic. Like, I'm not it's sure. I, I and think I it's love it, and that. I love these stories. But I'm just like, not sure that they're like it would ever do amazing. This this movie's based on quality acting. I mean, yeah. and, my, and that that's 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 the 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 potent element here. That's what gets people to like us to talk about it and say that we love it. Um, it's really hard to sell movies on quality acting unless the actors are well known like you put a movie with, with like Meryl Streep and Daniel Day-Lewis and people are like oh, okay I'm gonna go to see this movie because it's gonna have some good acting in it um, these actors except for Jason Lee I think established themselves after this film um, I think they did a really good job of casting but I think that like Damian Lewis um, Thomas Jane um, it's true their biggest hits were yet to come correct so it, I think that if if they yeah, like almost like we, if they re-release this, it'd be like people would be, oh, like I yeah, you know, they, they you should know. do like a twentieth, like next year they should do a twentieth anniversary re-release of this and be, basically do what they always do, which is present it as it was a great success, you know, the masterpiece yeah. of blah, blah blah, and people would be blown away and they'd be like, wow, this yeah. is a great movie, and they'd be talking about it. Um, we also I, I don't want to forget mentioning um, Donnie Wahlberg who played um, Duddits uh, as an, as an adult. When he's when he's suffering from leukemia, uh, he does a great job playing yet another emaciated, scrawny, strange guy. Um, and and I will still put it out there that his best performance ever, and I'm not even being facetious, he actually should should be applauded for is Saw Two. Um, he made that a, a, a decent movie, so that's a huge feat. Um, I don't know that God could have done that for most Saw movies, but uh, <laughs> send hate mail to Colton Classic at podcast at gmail.com. Um, yeah, so let's, let's just wrap this up. I agree with you. Um, I yeah, think I mean, now... like, so like Timothy Oliphant just says, just said to go back, like, did like Deadwood and like Hitman and uh, like Justified, like all came after that. Mm -hmm. um, like, those are all his like big, uh, big films uh, or, or big, not films, but uh, big titles. There is, his, yeah. yeah, it like, made him recognizable. Know, yeah, yeah Damien Lewis did like Homeland and um, like life was actually really good. For, when he's been like 60 episodes of billions so he's yeah he's doing billions well. now yeah he's just I, it's just like it feels like um uh, this movie is at the the wrong end of all of these people's careers for it to yeah i hopefully and it seems like it did like you're suggesting hopefully it really helped the reels if it didn't help kasdan's career later um i, I think I, I just think it's a I, i'll move right to the recommendations i think this is a really great movie um i think if it were made now it would be pitched and sold as a miniseries uh, on HBO to pick it up, that sort of thing. In fact, I wouldn't be shocked if that happened. Um, you would have to add some beats in, but because of the way it's structured, where you have, I think audiences now really enjoy that kind of mix of small town folk folksiness and horror. Like we get this weird mix of sort of uh, everyday life and horror, and we get that, we've gotten those elements with successful shows like Lovecraft Country and and Stranger Things, True Blood, um, all those things have both of those elements put together. Uh, so yeah, I think it would be more successful now, and I think that's how we would get it. But I, uh, this this movie held up for me. I give it a thumbs up. I think it's it's produced well enough uh, that you could shock a lot of people who've never seen it or never heard of it or remember it as being a box office bomb. Uh, but yeah, let's move to Mandy. Mandy, would you recommend 
Dreamcatcher 2003 to audiences? And if so, why? I would, because I love Stephen King and I think he does great characters. And this was a very good adaptation of his book. And um, one of the times where I think changing the story to match the format, as we discussed for the ending, really worked well. Um, and I think that it is always good to, um, to, you know, to kind of take those things in and appreciate them and like learn, learn to recognize it. Good call. Good call. Tad, would you recommend Dreamcatcher 2003? And if so, why? Absolutely. This is still, this is a movie. I loved it when I went and saw it and I ended up owning it uh, back in the dark ages, back when you actually had to own a physical copy copy of things or had to run down to local video store and rent it. And I owned it up until I gave away all of my DVDs because uh, I moved on to Blu-ray and then I moved on to not owning things. But uh, yes, absolutely. I think this is one of those good movies that you could squeeze into uh, a, a movie marathon, like a horror movie marathon, or just just sitting back and enjoying watching some of these budding actors before they really hit it big. Yeah, I, I and I, I agree, and I remember those days too. I also own this movie, um, and I, I think I've bought it twice, and I, I would have rented it, but I didn't like going to our local rental places, weird kid that I knew worked there. Sketchy as fuck. Yeah, awful. Uh, <clears throat> okay, Jeff, would you recommend Dreamcatcher 2003? And if so, why and to who? Um, yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll, yeah, I mean, basically anybody that can handle the kind of grossness of it because it's a little gross. Um, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm into it, but uh, you know, some some people take their their toilet time sacred. And if yeah, you don't full disclosure be about guys, ass weasels. <laughs> if you're not a long term <laughs> listener then you may not realize that um, Mandy and Jeff specifically requested more films about flatulence. And Did so we? that's why, that's why, uh, that's why this double pairing deuces is, uh, is all their fault. So you can mm. blame them on that. There is a lot of flatulence in this movie, especially the first half, I'd say. After the first half, it sort of settles back in and just implies that there's been a lot of flatulence. Uh, and it is um, people who, who have a problem with, um, uh, hemorrhoids are probably not going to be able to stomach this movie because this is like a, a PSA for how awful hemorrhoids can be. Yeah, so I think yeah, that's it. That's... I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think critics didn't like this movie for for that reason because it's just like farts and grossness. But yeah, it's got great acting. Well, and it's funny too critics because it dumb. does have yeah. that. Stephen King is sort of the master of that, right? You can he can have a totally wholesome scene in a novel. And then have one character say the most disgusting, insane, uh, unapologetically repulsive phrase. Um, and it just sort of, it's that juxtaposition that, that brings it to life because it's all of a sudden, yeah, there's no perfect moments um, or there are no perfect moments. So I, I think that that sort of uh, speaks to his style in general. So that is four recommendations uh, from our panel. That's a rarity here. Everyone recommended it. So guys, give Dreamcatcher 2003 another watch. Um, and that's been part one of our Deuces special. And next week, please, please, please tune in. I got to tell you, this is one of my favorite. I'm so excited to talk about uh, the, the sort of underground famous, but still quite cult territory, Japanese film, Zombie Ass, Toilet of the Dead. Remember to please like and subscribe if you're watching on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. Rate us as many stars as they'll allow you wherever you get your podcast. And please send recommendations, requests, questions, hate mail to cultandclassicpodcast.gmail.com and follow us 
on Instagram at Colton Classic Podcast and on Facebook.com slash Colton Classic Podcast. Thanks so much. This is Nate Wyckoff out and to play us out is the Chud with All About Evil. Hey everyone, thanks for listening to Colton Classic Podcast. This podcast is important to me, but what's more important are the rights, privileges, and freedom from violence of everyone in this country and in this world. And that means supporting Black Lives Matter. If you'd like to make a donation, please go ahead and visit coltonclassicpodcast.com where we have a list of places you can donate and help out. And please stay safe.